Hebrews chapter 7, as we pick back up where we left off, we're going to see, I titled it here, Superior Priesthood, because that's exactly what the, leader, the writer is in the book of Hebrews is going to speak to. We're only going to take, Lord willing, the first 19 verses of chapter 7. And you have to remember that the writer of the, the book of Hebrews is writing to believers who are being tempted to go back to Judaism, back to the following of the law, going back to the rules and regulations of religiosity. And, and it didn't work then, and it still doesn't work today. And even back then, the writer is encouraging them, don't go back to Judaism, don't go back to the law. Not as God has intended, but to now... Look, understanding of God's grace. Because if you go back to this system of self-righteousness, back to a system and how I or you might think you can attempt to somehow uh, earn your way into heaven or somehow attempt to do on your own way of standing, right on, your own right standing in front of God through good works, it's not going to work. Good works doesn't save you. Good works doesn't earn you little stars on the refrigerator to please God. What pleases God is an obedient heart, a a surrendered heart. And by his God's grace, he is choosing you to work good works in and through your lives and your vessels are willingness to use the spiritual gift or gifts he's given you and talents and abilities for his purpose and for his glory. The law said you must do, 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 and that makes you right with God. But don't take it into a time today of God's grace where you think, That's how you please God. Yes, again, it's that balance of understanding of God's grace. And you get to go do good works because God is leading you to go do those. Not because you have to, it's because you want to. That's the key. And so remember, Jesus is superior over angels, as we studied in the first part of of Hebrews. The writers talked about not only is he superior to angels, he's superior to Moses he was superior to Joshua, Joshua we saw. And now the writer highlights that Jesus is our superior high priest. It's his priesthood supreme over all, even the Levitical priesthood that God established. The Levitical priesthood wasn't bad. It had to be used by God for that period of time to paint a picture to usher into the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ. As a savior. So we see here that he is superior high priest over even Aaron and the Levitical line of priesthood that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament. But God has now set up the superior priesthood in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And the writer is going to highlight that. And I'm going to give you a theme of, of, of Hebrews chapter 7, just so this sets the uh, precedence of going into this chapter. Because the writer to the Hebrews are going to explain here a theme that inch was introduced back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. If you've been following along with us from the very beginning. If not, certainly go back today and reread Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, referring to Jesus as our high priest. He began to discuss the issue 
that they were dealing with of going back to legalism, going back to the law, going back to Judaism, and that hybrid back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10, if you remember. But had to spend some time between Hebrews 5.10 until now addressing this issue that was causing them not to mature in, uh, in their faith. The law and these quasi, I, I think I should go back to these religious ways because I'm not feeling it, you know, and, and I'm getting pressure to come back to the old religious ways of Judaism. It was causing them not to mature in their relationship with Jesus. It wasn't allowing them to move on in, by his God's grace to freely do what God wants to do in and through their lives, in their families, and in their communities because they were just so restricted by the law. And so what happens now is we're going to see the writers going to pull out here of understanding it's not the Levitical priesthood that is superior, but it's the superior priesthood is in and through Jesus Christ and him alone. Not Aaron's lineage, but Jesus' lineage, right? And so as we take a look at this, the writer of the Hebrews wants to remove this intellectual problem, I will call it. An intellectual problem that many people have because these, the Jewish Christians had with them the gospel. They understood the gospel. They came to Jesus. They surrendered their life to Jesus. But this intellectual hang-ups keep, keep them from continuing on maturing in Christ because they're trying to just understand the Levitical priesthood versus now following Jesus and, and how does that all work in, in the struggles? Because many people today do not know the Old Testament. Most churches don't teach the Old Testament at all. They only teach only the outcome, but they don't understand how we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and understand it's one story. We break it up in the Old and New Testament, but it's just one continuous story. It's all about Jesus from the very beginning of time. But people don't know that because they're not taught. They don't read the, word, the, the entire word of counsel of God. That's why we encourage you. You start and read the whole counsel of God. That's why we encourage you Wednesday nights as we're in the Old Testament. Come, learn. We just went through the book of Levitical. Leviticus, and now we're in the book of Numbers. It's some people's favorite books now. They never read it before, now it's their favorites. Because now you see what was taught in the book of Leviticus is playing out here, right here in chapter 7. It's playing right out here, you know, chapter 6 and chapter 7, and you'll see the connections there, as most people do not. So here in... Uh, this, remember, there was no chapter breaks. We say chapter 7, but there's no breaks here in the letter. And the letter here, if you understand, it really ties into chapter 6, verse 20. Look at that verse right there where we left off last week. And there's the tie-in here. It says, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Or Melchizedek, I should say. That's the proper way of saying the, his name, Melchizedek. Now when you take a look at this, we see here in chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, 
first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now this chapter can be pretty heavy for some if you have not kind of read through it a few times and chewed on this a little bit. This is what we would call meat. This, this chapter has a lot of meat in it. This is not milk. This is not going to be sugar-coated. This is more meat here. And it may be, a, for some of you, maybe a little bit to, to chew on. But stick with me here through chapter 7 because it's going to, I, I pray the Holy Spirit's going to make it, bring it to full fruition and help you grow and mature in your understanding. But here in this chapter 7, the very beginning, we see this man Melchizedek, which we know very little about. It only speaks to him twice prior to these scriptures here in Hebrews. Most of you know it was Genesis chapter 17. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 14 in verses 8 through 17 and 18 through 20, speaking of Melchizedek, where we see this this, this situation happened with Abram or Abraham defeating this five confederation of kings that were coming against his nephew Lot, who was part of this deal and being captive. God raised up Abraham to take his four, his, his about 318 of his servants which were trained soldiers, to go against these five king kingdoms and wiped them out. God empowered them with only 318 of his servants or soldiers, his highly trained soldiers, to go and get his, his nephew back. And he won. Slaughtered him, took him, took him right out. Now the picture here is you go back into Genesis chapter 14 and he comes back, we see that he meets up with this mysterious priest by the name of Melchizedek, who was also, we see, not only a priest, but he was also a king. He was the king of over the city of Salem, which is the ancient name for the city of Jerusalem. How do I know that? Well, how do we know that? We go back and you see that reference in Psalm 76, verse 2. That's how we would know. That's what we're speaking to, is the ancient name of the city of Jerusalem. So history shows that the danger of combination, God made sure there was never only one place that we see in the scripture prior to Jesus where anyone was a priest and a king. Not only have the authority to rule over, but also spiritual leader to rule and to move and to work through the people. Only here through this person, this man, Melchizedek, do we see those two positions are in one person. You could have a priest and prophet, or you could have a king and prophet that we know, but you'll never see anywhere else in the scripture except here and in Jesus Christ, where Jesus not only is priest and king, but also prophet. He's all three. Not this man. So when we take a look at this, it, it was designed here so that in this picture that God is showing in this, this man who is not much there to him, and, it, and he makes it very clear that he purposely does not give us much at all about this man so that we don't worship this man. 
Because he's not Jesus. He is not God. He's just a vessel that God used for the purposes of giving a picture of who what Jesus will be when he comes and is the high priest or the superior priesthood that we see. So in the scriptures here in verse 3, you notice that not only do we, or actually in verse 2, not only when he, Abraham shows up and here comes this high priest, this king that comes out to greet him, Abraham recognizes that Melchizedek is superior or has authority and a, a honor over even Abraham. Abraham was the man. He was the one who was given the promises from God. But Abraham knew who this man was. And when he shows up, what does Abraham do? To show honor? To show that he has the authority? Right there. Abraham gave a tenth. He tithed. He gave a tenth from the spoils, as we will read, from the, what he collected from winning the war against those five kingdoms. And he showed honor. He showed authority to him because as a high priest, he was to give his, his, uh, his tenth to that priest. We also see the fact that in the scripture here that he's also referred to in his name as it's the king of righteousness. And he's also the king of Salem, which means king of peace. Notice the order is first righteousness, then peace. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. We also see in verse 3 that they, don't want, to make, they want to make sure the writer doesn't bring to light. And nowhere in the scriptures do we see the fact that obviously this man had a father and mother. But there is no documentation in the scriptures of who that father and mother is or any genealogy connected to this person. Neither does we, do we know when he was born, where he was born. Or his end of life. We don't see where he dies. There's no reference at all in the scriptures. Now because of this, many people will say that must be a Christophany. That must be the appearance of Jesus' precarnation in the Old Testament. I don't see that. Why? Because as we continue, you're going to see why I believe this is a man. This is not, this is not Jesus in, in the incarnation. But... Many, some people do, but it's not one of those things you, you should move on. You, you let that ponder in your head. Don't let, just move on. It's just the main fact is, it's still a picture of who Jesus is. That is what I want you to stay hold, holding on to here. So Melchizedek was not merely a worshiper of, a, of the true God. He had the honor of title of the priest of the Most High God. The greatness of God magnified the greatness of Melchizedek in his priesthood. And it was displayed by Abraham to Melchizedek through the tenth part, or the tenth part of all, or all the spoils from the battle that we see back in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. Now, when you take a look at the name of Melchizedek and the place of the fact that he was the king over Salem, Salem, the order is very important. Righteousness is the only true path to peace. Let me restate that to you. Righteousness is the only true path to peace. If you're sitting here today and you say, I have no peace in my life, 
because you're not experiencing an understanding of the true righteousness that you have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You should ask yourself, am I born again? Am I saved? Am I trusting in Jesus Christ with all of my heart and soul and mind? Am I really coming to him with all of my problems, regardless how small and regardless how large and complex everything is coming against me and imploding and I feel like I'm barely swimming and got my nose just above the water? The question is, are you truly going to Jesus for the solutions and understanding of what to move, how to move forward with these things in your life? Because I assure you, if you truly are, and not just talking to yourself and think you're talking to him, but truly, really talking to him, you will experience his peace. A peace that will be overcome your, even your own understanding. How can I have peace in the chaos that's happening in my life right now? My job's falling apart. My, my marriage is falling apart. My relationship with my family's falling apart. My brothers, it can go on and on. I can't pay the bills. I can't do this. I don't know what to do next. My health is going. Whatever it may be that you're experiencing, come to Jesus, the righteous one, and experience his peace. Righteousness is the only true path to peace. People looked for peace by escaping. I, we just got to go to the mountains. We've got to escape what's going on. Let's go to the mountains. It'll make me feel better. Let's go to the water because something about the water and the waves and hearing the water and waves, it, it helps me just, I can escape what's going on around me. Let me get into the videos. I'll just kind of get in the video games and I'll just kind of zone out. Or it could be something else. Give me my phone. Give me my movies. Give me my this. Give me that, that. There's always seems to always look for some way to escape your reality that you're dealing with of the complexities of life. And if you're not escaping, you're running. You're avoidance. You're avoiding it. You'll just keep running from one thing to one to another, one relationship to the next to the next. You'll get into yourself. You'll become so self absorbed about what you look like, how you feel, all the, these things, these are, these are indications that you don't truly have the peace of God that you should have in your life. You'll escape, you'll avoid, you'll compromise. This is good enough for me. I know it goes against the word of God. I know it's not right. It's not good, but I'm compromising. I'm willing to do it because it will help me try to relieve this pressure that I'm under. But let me tell you, my brother, it will not help. It won't help. It's just temporary. And it's not true. My sister, I'm telling you, if you're looking for something or someone, if you're looking even into your husband as somehow going to solve all your, you're looking at the wrong place. Man, if you're looking into your wives to think she's going to be all in all to solve all your problems, that you're having squirreliness in your head, you're looking at the wrong place. Only Jesus is going to solve the challenges that you're dealing with. Come to him. He is the righteous one. Jesus is the righteous one and he has given us a perfect 
righteousness in the relationship with him. It means a right standing before God. You want a right standing before God? Then you must come to him. He's the righteous one and he's the only one. No priest, no pastor, no church, no organization is going to give you the righteous one. Only a personal relationship with Jesus gives you the righteous one. And when you come and have a right standing before God so we can have peace in our relationship with God. The reason why we don't have peace is because something's not right with our relationship with God which is affecting all of our relationships that are horizontal. Get the vertical right with God in your life then your horizontal relationships with everyone around you will be right. There's counseling 101 right there. <laughs> Can I counsel with you, Pastor? Sure. Let's talk about your relationship. I'll show you the cross and I'll get your relationship right here. Then everything else this way will work out if you're obedient to the Word of God. I can show you all the day long, but if you don't be obedient and stop avoiding and stop escaping and stop compromising, then you'll get your relationships right in life. Again, Counseling 101. Now, when we take a look at this, how do we know, and let me give you some more meat here to chew on today and some scripture. Where do I see in the scriptures about the righteous one and about the peace of God? First one is 1 John 2.1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's why we know Jesus Christ is the righteous. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.11, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See how the relationship, how we can be made righteous, have a right standing with God because of our relationship with Jesus, the righteous one? And when that's right, then we see in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. What does God give you in that relationship? I will leave with you peace, my peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you want to solve your challenges today of not having this, this heart that seems to be troubling you today? Do you really want the solution? Do you really want to fix it? There is only one way. Come to Jesus. If you're looking anywhere else, you're, you are choosing not to come to Jesus. Because you think you can do it your own way. And it will fail. And the destruction will not affect just you. It will affect everyone around you. That was a warning. That's what pastors do. <laughs> we warn and we warn and we warn. Because the scripture tells us so. The other one is 1 Corinthians 1.3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was 
That was a very normal closure right there because it's so true. Grace to you, not law to you. Oh, you're such a good boy. You kept the law. Such a good boy and got such a good girl. No. It's grace to you and peace from God. Our Father and the Lord Jesus. Now we see in verse 4 through 10, we see Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And that's what the writer is trying to get across. Because Abraham paid these tithes to Melchizedek. And because of Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And we see three reasons why it was better. We'll take a couple of them today. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. To whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a, con- a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. Verse 10, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So in these verses, I want you just to highlight in your Bible so that it kind of settles that, the idea, for at least in my, in my heart, and I hope yours as well, because Scripture is very clear to me. But if you want to go listen to other commentators and try to you know, do what you need to do, but I, I don't encourage that. But it says right here in verse 4, Now consider how great this man this man is. Melchizedek was a man. He, he, he had, he, we don't know if he, he obviously had a mother and a father. We just don't know who it is. Doesn't mean it, he didn't have one. There's a lot of things in the scriptures that scripture doesn't speak to, but we don't have to have it spoken to because it's, it's pretty right, straightforward. Melchizedek was not some superhuman, like some people think. He was not an angel, like some people think. He was not an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, like some people think. He was a real man, a real priest, and a real king, and a real city of Jerusalem. And I read it as simple as that. It is straightforward to understand what the writer's trying to get across to these believers who were struggling between why would we leave the Levitical priesthood, Judaism, that religiosity, the law, and now just completely, by the grace of God, be surrendered and follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The priest, the highest priest, the great priest, the supreme priesthood now. Well, we also know, but Melchizedek is a picture of the Lord Jesus, and he is the only one with this life description that this writer writes to to point the picture to Jesus. The fact that the, the fact that he was a priest and a king, but he wasn't a prophet like Jesus. The fact that you know he was over Jerusalem. I mean, we see all these kinds of pictures of what Jesus will be doing in fulfillment of this picture. Now, when we take a look at this and the fact that Abraham gave a tenth, he gave the spoil, even the sons of Levi, by the commandment of God, 
in the law said that they were to receive tithes from the, uh, the, from the people. It was part of the, 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 the law that needed to have put in place so people would learn to die of themselves and give to God. Because God knew the nature of man. Nature of you or my nature is not to give away something of value to someone else. Do you know that? You know the hardest thing to do is to give to God? To give your money because you hold it so tight? Even though it's his money and he's the one that gave you the money? He's given you the ability, the strength and the ability to serve him, but you won't give your time and energy to do anything to serve him in a physical manner? It's a struggle for you. You will compromise, escape, and, and, and avoid all you can to not give money or not give your time and energy to serve God and his people. It's a struggle. But that's why the law had to be put in place to bring to light what God's expectation was for his people. So here Abraham, clearly God's, God's man <laughs> to, to bring about the nation of Israel. Now also keep this in mind. This is amazing. Most people don't think about this. At this time in Genesis chapter 14, there was no nation of Israel. There was no Levitical priesthood. There was no Moses. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no law that God had laid out yet. But we do know that there were things taught by God through his people because you see Abraham giving a tithe prior to the law. The people weren't doing it, so he put the law in place to let them know. Expectations are you're to give a tithe. But prior to the law was given, Abraham freely did. Are you with me? So people get so wrapped up into the Moses and the law and the Ten Commandments and they try to follow that. It didn't work. And that's what the writer is trying to get across here is that Abraham was the pitcher and God set it up so Abraham came and showed honor to this man called Melchizedek as a pitcher of what we will be doing in the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ. He continues here. Verse 7, or verse 11 in chapter 7, verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. The law is what? The Torah, right? What further need was there for another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? The question in the back of these believers we see here, the writers writing to in Hebrew, to the book of Hebrews, is that they couldn't get their head around they were raised up to follow Aaron, the, the, the order of Aaron, the order of, of the uh, Levitical line, the, the tribe of Levi. That's where the priests came from. And they were to, always taught their whole life that that's what they were to follow. And now we see the, 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 we're, they're being taught. Now keep, keep in mind, in Genesis, they talk about this scenario taking place with Melchizedek. We see here, and eventually we're going to get to Psalm 110, 
verse 4, we're going to have that reference. That's a thousand years later when Melchizedek pops up a second time of even a man even existing. And now we see it now coming later in Hebrews, now laid out for them. And these people are going, I'm not understanding this. Why Levitical priesthood? Why does, why does this writer says, if we have a Levitical priesthood, why do we need another priesthood to come up? And we call the order of Melchizedek. Because it's a picture of the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ, which is better than the Levitical priesthood. That's what they're trying to get them to go. So don't go back to the Levitical priesthood when you have something more superior to you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But we'll continue here. So it shows the need for a different priest order of priesthood if perfection could come through the Levitical priesthood. But the writer is saying here, perfection through the Levitical priesthood did not happen. It could not happen. The simple fact that God describes a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, it was seen, like I mentioned, in Psalm 110 verse 4, shows there's something lacking in the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood according to Aaron, the order of Aaron. God would not establish an unnecessary priesthood unless it needed to be superior that it's actually going to work. Because the old one did not work. It wasn't bad, it was just temporary. The term Levitical priesthood simply describes the Jewish priesthood of the Old Testament. It is called Levitical because of the instructions of the Old Testament priesthood found in the book of Leviticus. Where did the Leviticus name come from? From the tribe of Levi. That's where we get Leviticus from. But it's under it the people received the law. They received, God gave it to, to Moses. Moses then, then implemented what God asked to. But not only is Melchizedek superior to Aaron, the scripture the writer writes here, but Melchizedek also replaced Aaron, and it was God's intention. That's how it was going to play out from the very beginning of time. But the question still asks, why would God make a radical change in the priesthood? Because both the priesthood and the law were imperfect. That is why he changed. We'll see this here continued verses 12 through 14. Look, look verse 12. For the priesthood being changed... Of necessity, it was a necessity for this change that God was going to take place. There is also a change of the law. So logically, if you look at back to Psalm 110 verse 4, God would never introduce a new priesthood if it were not necessary, he says here in verse 12. He would never introduce an inferior priesthood, but a superior priesthood, that's mentioned in the order of Melchizedek that was established in a picture of it back there in Genesis chapter 14, now played out in the life of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the necessity that the old Levitical law, did, a priesthood, did not fulfill God's full intention. Look here in verse 13 and 14. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. 
from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Here's kind of the root of the problem, is it not? So here they're looking at there, okay, fine, 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 fine. Okay, we got the order of Aaron, the order of the Levitical priesthood. We got that. We came to Jesus. We surrendered our life to Jesus. But now I'm, we're, you're telling, as we study this and look at Jesus' life, how can he be a superior high priest to us if he doesn't follow or he's not from the tribe of Levi? Because we've been always taught that a priest always comes from the tribe of Levi. And we know here, as a writer writes, he says our Lord rose from the tribe of Judah. And nowhere in anywhere we've ever known in uh, history, they're saying, did we ever say that a priest would come from the tribe of Judah? But now you're telling us that he's going to be our high priest? That's who we should stay with as our high priest and follow him? That was what was causing the problem. That was what was causing these, these, these Judaism or these Judaizers coming in and trying to convince them to come back and walk away from Jesus and come back to the law, come back to the faith of Judaism and, and walk away from Jesus. And that was one of the arguments they were using to try to convince them to go back to the old life. Obviously, Jesus is not from the family of Aaron. He's not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah. But that's why the writer established in chapter 2, 5, even all the way back to Genesis 14, that Jesus, the great, the supreme high priest, would come from the order of Melchizedek, not from the order of Aaron. And that was established. And this is what the writer's bringing them back to to help them understand. No, it, it's a much superior priesthood that Jesus comes from. And it's established and even noted, and again, in Psalm 110, verse 4. Let's go to verse 15. And it is yet far more evident if, if in the likeness, again, the key words to understand, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arise another priest who has come not according to the law of the, a fleshly command, that's what the Levitical uh, priesthood is, or the Levitical law was a fleshly command, but according to the power of an endless life, eternal life that he's talking about here. Verse 17, for he testifies, Jesus is what he, who referring to, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What's the, the word there in the Hebrew, another, means another of a different kind. So Jesus' priesthood is not based upon the law or heredity of, uh, of a fleshly commandment, the writer says here, but upon the power of God's endless life. I think it's a powerful argument to contradict what was going against him. He's basically saying, why would you stay or go back to the old fleshly commandment that didn't work that's only giving you temporary 
guidance, a temporary understanding, a temporary only covering. It had to be sacrifice of animals just to keep you in right standing with God. Why would you go back to the sacrifice of animals when you were code to Jesus who was the ultimate sacrifice and his blood covers and wipes away all your sin and you have the much superior priesthood here? Why would you go back to that? That's going to give you, as the writer says, eternal life. The, the, the law, the Levitical law, is not going to give you eternal life. But the, the order of Melchizedek, the, the picture fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, is going to give you eternal life if you follow the supreme high priest, the superior priesthood. Why would you go back? And this could be said of the Messiah who is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek that would give you a power of endless life. Endless life, eternal life. This is what we're talking about in the weighing of the situation here. Not just getting through life, but having the promise and the hope of eternal life. Why would you just try to satisfy what you can get to satisfy and survive today day by day, versus understanding how God, by his grace, can bring you through each day into eternity. That's what the writer is saying here to understand for you and I as well. And he closes here in verse 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. So right there, the writer says here, the old Levitical law was weakness. It was weak. It was unprofitable. It wasn't fruitful spiritually in people's lives. It just kind of gave them some boundaries and some, like, like bowling alley, you know? You're those who don't know how to throw their ball wildly, you've got to have the little bumpers in there so it doesn't go in the gutter all the time. So the law was set up to put some bumper guards there for you so you were not living your life in the gutter all the time. But it was unprofitable. It wasn't fruitful. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. That Levitical law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The writer to these believers and the Hebrew believers here kept the focus on the temptation, the context of what he's trying to tell them. He says, I know you're being tempted all the time to go back to religiosity, back to the law, the old law that wasn't perfect, it was unfruitful, it didn't, it wasn't perfect. But kept the focus of the temptation his readers were dealing with facing to go back into the old temple system. And this reminds us and it reminds them that Jesus Christ has accomplished what the law could never accomplish. And because he has accomplished all, he's fulfilled all. It brings you and I as believers the hope that he has for us. The hope of eternal life. The hope of understanding that God is in control of our life if we let him. 
The fact that not only do we have this better hope, but we also can now have a personal relationship with God Almighty through the life we have in Jesus. We can draw near to God now. Did you not understand that? We, you can draw near to God because of your relationship in and through Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can boldly come into the throne and talk to your Heavenly Father about everything and anything, and He will listen to you. We see in the Scripture that He knows the number of hair on your head this morning, and He intricately wants to hear and spend time with you. He wants to hear all your complaints, all of your pains, all of your suffering, all of the positive things, great things that are going on as well. You and I can boldly can do that. We don't have to go to a priest to do that. We don't have to go to a pastor to do that. You don't have to wait for the ceremonial slaying of a, your, your perfect little lamb that you're going to be taking to the temple. You can sit there wherever you're at at the most desperate and dark time of your life and you can cry out, and Abba, Father, and he hears you. Why? Because God is the high priest. It's a perfect priesthood in Jesus Christ. We have the perfect mediator for us between God, between us and our Heavenly Father. And the former, the old Levitical law, priesthood is annulled because it was weak, it was unprofitable in one's people's lives. The law made nothing perfect, it says here, the writer says. The law does, not, does a great job of setting certainly God's perfect standards for us. This is his standards. This is what we need to follow. That's why it was good. The law was good in the fact that it set some standards for us to understand. But it does not give the power to keep that standard. Let me say that again. The Levitical law gave you and I clear guidance of what the standards are of life. But it did not give you the power and ability to keep those standards. That's why the sacrifices were continuous. To cover the sins over and over and over. But for us, for you and I, That law made nothing perfect. But Jesus Christ is perfect. The law would sit there and do an expert diagnosis of what your problem is. Your sin problem? The law can bring to light your sin problem that's in your life. That diagnosis can be done through the law. Which is essential. It's good, it's right to find out what the root problem is in our lives. That's causing us not to have peace. But the law does not provide the cure for your sin problem. It can diagnose your problem, but it cannot cure your problem. Only Jesus can save us from our sin problem. He can diagnose the Holy Spirit, the helper that God has sent, God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes and can bring to light 
what our problem is. But he also has the solution and can cleanse you from your sin problem. And you notice I'm using the word sin, not sins. Sin, because most of it is all based on one sin that God came to, to die for. You know what that sin is? The pride of man. Jesus came and died on the cross for the pride of man. And that pride of man manifests itself into many facets of different types of sin. Look at all your challenges you have, and you'll find that you are selfish, prideful to the root. If it hasn't been dealt with by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, you deal with selfish pride. And Jesus says, I can help you. Matter of fact, he's, the Holy Spirit probably, probably diagnosed and actually gave you a report just now in your mind that you just got a report. You understand now what's wrong in your life. That's not given. That's why you don't have peace. But Jesus says, I've paid for the penalty of that sin of yours. Anyone who will trust in me, anyone who will surrender their life to me, shall be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. And you will then be brought into the right standing of God with the righteous one. Isn't that beautiful? You have to take that step if you haven't already. Today is the day of salvation for you if you haven't already taken that step. And put aside the law and the religiosity and all the legalism that you've been taught. Or maybe you were like me and you're a complete heathen living in darkness for your youngest years. Today, you surrender all and give your life to the great and perfect high priest. All the legalists who are listening to this message, make note of this scripture today. All the legalists, mark this, because the law made nothing perfect. So why are you following the law? For all those Seventh-day Adventists that might be listening to this, the law made nothing perfect. All of those who dream of the law as a rule of life, we should go back and follow those Ten Commandments to the T. Let me remind you what the scripture tells us. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, as the writer says here, we have a better hope. We have the ability to draw near to God by the grace of God that is given in and through the relationship with Jesus Christ. It is his grace that allows us to do that. May as Christians, we do not have a legal relationship with God. May we have a grace relationship with God. We get to have a relationship with him. Not we're being forced to have a relationship with him. I hope you know the difference.
It's a better hope. If you remember, the writer came to the same conclusion as Paul did in Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. But they arrived in two different, two different ways. In Galatians, Paul showed the law as a tutor that brings us to Jesus. In Hebrews, we see that the law associated with a priesthood that has been made obsolete by a superior priesthood, which is Jesus Christ. And it's through that understanding that you can freely serve your God. You can freely come boldly to talk to him about everything. You can freely worship him. You can freely have this freedom by his grace and go grace upon grace upon grace because he did the finished work on the cross. And to go back to Judaism, to go back to law, would mean losing the enjoyment of their, that close fellowship with God the Father through Christ. Because when it's based upon the law, you do not have a relationship with God. You don't. You have to come through some lawyer to have that relationship because it's based on the law. Today, many people, you hear lots of teachings on end times because I do believe Jesus is coming back for us soon. And, but many people who are not understanding the scriptures, they have a tendency, even with sometimes when they read some of these th things about the end times, they get excited about the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. I'm not, because I'm not going to see it. You know why? Because I'll be raptured out of here before that temple is built. If you know the scripture. But many this, but there is a small group. We went to Israel. There's a small group, dedicated Jews, absolutely committed to rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And it will be rebuilt. We see that in the scriptures. And it is exciting for them. Why? Why is they excited the fact that they can rebuild the temple? Because they are still hung up on the Levitical priesthood. They want to go back and they want anyone who wants to restore that Arianic priesthood and resume Levitical sacrifices, especially for the atonement of sin as they did back in those days, denies the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. So I'm not looking. You and I as um, believers should not be looking for some Jewish temple to be rebuilt so that they can have sacrifices for their atonement of their sin. But think about how squirrely this is for the Jewish faith. They haven't been able to sacrifice any of their animals to cover their, to, to cover their sins ever since the temple was taken down. we have the answer and that is in the superior priesthood of Jesus Christ understand the only hope Judaism had at the time was the promise of the Messiah the Christ was coming they had that promise in the Old Testament and the writers telling these these believers I know under Judaism, you've been promised the Messiah. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. 
But you have them. It's just, it's Jesus Christ. Why would you go back to Judaism? Stay focused on your relationship with Jesus that you started. Don't go back to the religiosity. Focus on the grace of God and what he's done for you. That is our promise and hope today as well as believers. May we focus on the grace of God.